Hello everyone and welcome to Starlight Beacon Transmissions podcast. This is episode three. Yes, this is the Revenge of the Sith of this uh, podcast. Not going to be a dark ending, but uh, you know. <laughs> anyway, my name is Eric Mitchell. Once again, I am your host. Uh, we are coming to you from the Starlight Beacon Transmissions podcast recording studio, aka my apartment living room. And uh, we have a fun show for you this week. But before we get into the show, uh, there is something that I need to address. And this is only going to take a few minutes. And then we are going to get into this. Uh, we here at Starlight Beacon Transmissions uh, do not condone racism, violence, misogyny, sexism of any kind. We do not condone toxicity within this within this fandom. If you are going to be toxic, if you are going to be racist, if you are going to be misogynist, if you're going to be sexist, if you're going to be an all-around just horrible human being, you need to leave right now. You need to unsubscribe from this podcast. You need to unfollow us on Twitter. And you just need to go. Because there's no room for it in this fandom. If I find out, if I see anybody engaging in that behavior, whether you're an influential part of the Star Wars uh, family, whether you are just a disgruntled quote-unquote fan, I will find you, I will report you, I will expose you, and I will block you. And myself and a bunch of other people are going to be doing that because there is no room for hate in this fandom. There's no room for it at all. I could go on here, but I'm going to tell you right now, this is our stance. This is my personal stance as the owner and operator of this podcast. If you come after me, I will block you. I will report you and I will expose you. So just don't do it, okay? Just, I don't know why in the year 2021 we have to have this conversation because a bunch of people just need to just be racist or be misogynist or be sexist. Like, just go away. There's no room for you here. I'm just going to let it be that. Um, I am going to be doing an episode down the line about uh, these so-called uh, quote-unquote fans and their toxicity. But for now, I just needed to address that and get that out of the way. Uh, well, not get it out of the way, but we needed to address this before we started. Once again, Starlight Beacon Transmissions stands with Christina Ariel, uh, Bria, stands with everybody who is being harassed right now for either being a person of color, being a woman, what have you, in the Star Wars community. It stops now. If you're going to do it, you need to leave. If you'd continue to do it, like I said, we will find you, we will expose you, we will report you, and we will block you. So, having said that... Let's get into the show. Um, not much in the way of Star Wars news this week. Uh, other than I would love 
to uh, congratulate uh, Christina Ariel for the launch of the High Republic show on Star Wars uh, YouTube page. Um, Christina, you are going to absolutely kill this. It's going to be awesome, and I can't wait to see uh, what you have in store for us Star Wars fans with the High Republic show. Uh, so just keep doing what you're doing. Keep pressing on because you have our support. You have our love. So uh, check that out. It's going to be uh, Wednesday, uh, the 27th, actually, the day that this podcast drops. So, you know, give us a listen. Check out uh, Christina Ariel's show, The High Republic Show, on the Star Wars YouTube page. And just uh, bask in everything that is awesome that's going on in Star Wars right now. Uh, the High Republic is just absolutely incredible. And I just can't wait to dive further into this. And they picked a tremendous host uh, for this show. So, Christina, you have our love. You have our respect. Go get it and just knock them dead. So that is going to bring us to uh, our first segment of the episode. I, I was going to talk about the High Republic number one first, but I figured I would talk about that towards the end. Um, there are some people that uh, have been reaching out to me on my personal Twitter as well as through the uh, through the show's Twitter, and even like my mom and uh, like aunts and uncles and and some friends that are unfamiliar with certain Star Wars characters uh, that I've talked about here in the first two episodes have asked me. Um, who certain characters are, what their claims to fame are, and so on and so forth. So, uh, I got a lot of feedback from the uh, from our first episode with Thrawn, and how I was talking about Thrawn. Well, I figured I would do a deep dive into Grand Admiral Thrawn, and I figured, what better way to do that than to kind of dissect what is the first few chapters of... Uh, Thrawn Ascendancy Chaos Rising. So this is going to be a dissection of the first few chapters. In it, you are going to uh, learn about the the Chiss Ascendancy, which uh, Thrawn is um, a member of the Chiss. Uh, that's his race. That's uh, that's his alien species. Um, so you're going to be hearing about that. So we're going to be doing a little bit of background for that. And we're going to be talking about Thrawn's early military career. Uh, with that. So uh, for those of you uh, that uh, don't know, uh, Thrawn was actually created by an, uh, an author named Timothy Zahn, and this was back in the early 90s, um, when there wasn't a lot in the way of Star Wars content coming out. Um, this was when we really started to see um, the surge in book content for Star Wars. And with this, we um, Timothy Zahn uh, created a character named Grand Admiral Thrawn, and uh, Thrawn debuted in a trilogy called uh, the Heir to the Empire trilogy, uh, in which this was post-Return of the Jedi, a few years after Return of the Jedi, where um, the New Republic had been established, 
and Luke was starting to try to establish a new Jedi Order at this time. Um, but the New Republic was still dealing with remnants of the Empire. And one of these Imperial remnants, one of the biggest Imperial remnants, uh, was led by Grand Admiral Thrawn. So, um, I know I delved a little bit into his backstory when we were talking about the rumors that Robert Downey Jr. would be playing Thrawn um, in live-action Star Wars projects. But, like, we never, like, really dove into Thrawn. So that's the... Uh, the old legends version of Thrawn. So when Dave Filoni decided to bring Thrawn back into new canon uh, with Star Wars Rebels, uh, Lucasfilm talked to Timothy Zahn about doing a new set of Thrawn books. So Timothy Zahn wrote a new set of Thrawn books that was set during uh, the events of Star Wars Rebels. And then he decided, well, I'm going to do uh, a few prequel novels. So we have this new uh, trilogy called uh, Thrawn Ascendancy. And the first book in that is called Chaos Rising. Now with this book, we're seeing Thrawn in his early military career within the Chiss Ascendancy Expansionary Defense Force or Expansionary Defense Fleet. And here we see uh, how Thrawn becomes Thrawn. So with the Chiss, <clears throat> I'm going to be throwing a lot of different names and a lot of different things at you. Um, I'm going to try to clarify it as much as I can. <laughs> so with the Chiss, there's nine ruling families uh, within the Chiss. So you have, and I am probably going to butcher these but um here we go so you have the uh Ufsa family the Arizi family the Dasklo family the Klar family Chaff Peak Bodley family or Bodle family um the Abic family and the Myth family so uh for those of you that don't know uh Thron's full name is uh Mithron Urodo or Mithron Urodo yes he is an adoptive uh, he is an he's a merit adoptive of the uh Myth family so Thron is adopted by the Myth family because of his um tendency to excel with um he was a very gifted student he comes from a very uh small family within the chiss ascendancy so it's a very unknown family so they don't really have a lot of they don't have any recognition they don't have much in the way of resources but thron is still sent to this academy um where he just excels he outperforms every student and there's a military leader named uh, General Bakif who starts to take a great interest in Thrawn and contacts uh, members of the Myth family to take a look at Thrawn, to interview Thrawn, and see if he would be a good fit to become a merit adoptive. 
so with this uh the myth family there's there's one person in the family that is sent to do these tasks and i'm blanking on their name off the top of my head and i am so sorry <laughs> um i think it's uh thurfian yeah it's thurfian um yeah that's right yes yes it's uh it's thurfian um, so he is sent to evaluate Thrawn, uh, interview him, but along the way, as he's getting ready to interview Thrawn, um, when they're on their way to the myth compound on this one planet, the, uh, well, Thallius, uh, gets a text message, pretty much, and he is told Thrawn is now accepted into the family as a merit adoptive because of all of Thrawn's actions, because of everything that he is doing, he excels. And a lot of people feel that either he could go into politics or the military, but they, they pretty much set Thrawn on the path of going into the military. And so that's where we, you know, that's how we get to Thrawn, um, where he is when the Empire finds him. So, uh, let me see here. So that's like one of the underlying themes of the book, and that's like one of the backstories in the book. And like I said, I apologize for, <laughs> for all that information there. So we start to see Thrawn really um, comes into his own during an investigation. So the uh, the capital of the Chiss Ascendancy. So if you're unfamiliar with where the Chiss Ascendancy is, which you probably are um, unfamiliar because I want to cater this to casual Star Wars fans as well. So the Chiss Ascendancy is in the unknown regions of the Star Wars galaxy. So that's where uh, Exegol was. Um, Batu is on the border of the Unknown Regions. Endor is close to there. So, and they, so you really know that there's stuff out there, but you don't know what's out there. And so there's another government that pretty much rivals the Republic. Uh, when it comes to the Unknown Regions, and that's the Chiss Ascendancy. So, um, the capital, the Chiss homeworld is attacked um, by three ships, uh, but the Chiss Expansionary Defense Force really just makes short work of it. But there hasn't been an unprovoked or there hasn't been an attack on the Chiss homeworld in a long, long time. So General Bakif enlists the help of now Senior Captain Thrawn to investigate who might have attacked the Chiss homeworld and to bring those uh, attackers to justice. And so we start going on this journey of political intrigue, military tactics, as well as Thrawn trying to prove himself to everybody that he is the right person for the job. And we start to see in this, in this book uh, especially, 
Thrawn is a very young senior captain at this point. Uh, he's probably in his late 20s, maybe early 30s. So he's he's very, very young. And we see that he is he's full of himself, which is what we will see later down the line. He's cocky, which was what we'll see later down the line. But he also struggles with that identity. He hasn't really been forged in fire to become the man that we see him in Star Wars Rebels, as well as in the new Thrawn uh, novels. So with this, we're starting to see Thrawn really walk through the fire. And we're starting to see him use people to his advantage. While he's also being used for other people's advantages as well. So that's where we get into the politics of it all. Uh, when it comes to the Chiss Ascendancy, speaking of politics, when it comes to the Chiss Ascendancy, the military and the political uh, and and the political wing, they really clash with each other because the politicians are trying to control the military and the military, they're trying to influence how politicians do or how politicians make their decisions. But they are also just trying to be on their own. But the politicians want to take over everything. And that's where you get into the, um, really the nitty gritty of this. Because you find out that there is actually a council of generals, a military council, that is trying to make military decisions while also trying to make political decisions within the military. But then you also have the ruling council of the Chiss Ascendancy, which is the nine ruling families that are trying to make decisions based on what will, what's in the best interest of the Chiss Ascendancy, while also trying to influence military decisions, which is why they meet with General Bakif as much as they do in this book. Oh my gosh, do they meet with General Bakif so much in this book? It's it's ridiculous. It's like, oh, General McKeef is walking into the council chamber again. Uh, oh, great. Okay. Let's see what these guys have to say this time. They'll even bring in other admirals from the expansionary defense fleet to, like, find out what's going on. They, they tried going after Thrawn through an admiral. So Thrawn gets winds of a distress call. Uh, the expansionary defense fleet is under attack by um, a race called the Patatis. I'm not even going to spell that. I know it sounds like potato, but they're the Patatis. <laughs> so anyway, uh, there's some ships in the expansionary defense fleet that are attacked, and Thrawn brings in uh, his ship, the Skyhawk, to uh, kind of save the day. And this is when we start to see Thrawn's tactical mind coming into play, where Thrawn maneuvers the ship to pretty much bait the Patatus fighters into pursuing the Skyhawk so that the other ships can get in range to take on the Patatus fighters. 
So he plays decoy while also he plays offense and defense at the same time, uh, which is huge because there's a flashback where we start to see how Thrawn will pick up on the slightest uh, mutations in any battle situation. And he'll he can judge where his opponents are going and they he can judge their tactics. And we see that in a flashback where he's using a patrol fighter to take out other patrol fighters in a combat situation, or a combat simulation, I should say. Um, and it's just interesting to see how he thinks and to see what he thinks is the best tactic. And we're starting to see we're starting to see more of that. And it's it's really neat to see a character like this that's so well renowned and respected in the Star Wars community to see his humble origins, to see that Thrawn wasn't necessarily Thrawn. It took a long time for him to get to that point. And once it does get to that point, boom, it's it's awesome. And you get to see Thrawn in all of his glory. So Thrawn is continuing this investigation, and he incorporates uh, a Skywalker. So, no, not Luke Skywalker, not Anakin Skywalker, or Shmi Skywalker, because I know some of you are probably like, ooh, Skywalkers, that means that the, 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 the Jedi were there. I, I get it. I get your excitement. <laughs> no. Skywalkers are navigators in the Chiss Ascendancy that uh, may or may not be Force-sensitive. I believe that they are Force-sensitive. And they are hyperspace navigators. Um, and this will also bring me to a point uh, with the High Republic, which I'm going to get to in just a little bit here. Uh, there's a Skywalker named uh, Shiri? Cherry? Shiri? Something like that. Um, and she is assigned to Thrawn's ship to navigate, uh, the Skyhawk to, uh, get to points, well, to navigate the Skyhawk to find the origins of the attacking ships. And we see that, um, they enter this four-star system. That has a derelict uh, alien ship in it that was attacked by the same people that attacked the, the Chiss Ascendancy. So Thrawn investigates the ship, but he also finds out um, where it might have come from because the navigator didn't dump all of the navigational data uh, on this derelict ship. So Thrawn starts to put the pieces together. Uh, and which he uh, enlists the help of another admiral to help him get into the system so that way he can begin his investigation into this old asteroid uh, station to see what's going on with uh, these attackers, to find out who these attackers are. And that's pretty much like the first few chapters of this book. But like I said, I want to get to just Thrawn and his thinking and how... He's starting to use uh, people to his advantage. And you can tell he it sits comfortably with him, but at the same time it doesn't. Because 
this is all new to Thrawn. Thrawn is a superior person or a superior being. We get that. We see that. But he's still struggling with that. He's still struggling with who he's going to become. And that throws off people a lot. That's uh, It's an interesting uh, defensive mechanism while also just being a character flaw. So we see Thrawn dealing with the anxiety. We see Thrawn not having all of the answers and turning to others for help. Um, Thrawn's not afraid to ask for help if he needs it. He just goes about it a different way. He starts to use people and then he's and then he figures out, oh wait, it would be more helpful if I just enlisted this person's help. Also, Thrawn doesn't trust a lot of people. And I think that is from his time spent with General Bakif and his time within the Myth family. Thrawn just doesn't trust a lot of people. The ones he does trust, he barely trusts. So we, we're seeing him... We're seeing his formative years here. And... It's just really interesting. I love the world that Timothy Zahn is building. I've barely even touched on the world building in this book. And that's what I'm going to do with our next uh, deep dive into this uh, into this novel. But I just really just wanted to talk about Thrawn. And especially his early days. Because it's just so, so interesting to see this character that is very intimidating when we finally see the end result. When we get to the end result, he's very intimidating. He's very uh, ruthless in the way he does things. He's very calculating and cold and calm um, and collected about it, but also uh, showing that he is ruthless, that he is um, kind of vengeful when he needs to be. And I think that's just from years and years of trusting people and being betrayed and just learning as he goes. Because that's another thing about Thrawn. Thrawn picks up on things really, really fast. Uh, when we when we see him in this book and throughout other books, he can put two and two together very fast. And that will lead him along his investigation. Do I know uh, who attacked the Chiss Ascendancy? Yes, I do. But you're just going to have to wait and see as we uh, continue to do deep dives. We're probably going to be doing that uh, about once a month, um, towards probably towards the end of the month. So around this time, probably. Uh, so you are just going to have to wait and see uh, the next thing here. So we are going to take a quick break. Um and then we're going to be talking about the High Republic number one from Kevin Scott uh, and Marvel Comics. Um, just I've got questions. I've got breakdowns. Uh, it's it's just going to be fun. Uh, we are going to be trying to tie this into uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge as well. And don't forget, we are going to be doing a big, big giveaway here. Uh, that is going to, uh, the contest is going to run through next week. 
So stay tuned. We will be back in just a couple of minutes with our second segment. All right, my friends, we are back. And this is going to be a fun, fun segment. We are going to be talking about Star Wars The High Republic number one, published by uh, Marvel Comics, written by Kevin Scott. Uh, this takes place uh, when it comes to the High Republic timeline, uh, because we're starting to get a formulative uh, timeline here. Uh, this takes place immediately after Light of the Jedi. Uh, so a test of courage is going on at this point as well. Um, so we, so when we get to uh, the High Republic number one, like I said, this is right after Light of the Jedi. We are interested. We are interested. We are introduced um, to uh, Jedi Master Skier. Like we get to see Skier and his Padawan, like in their full glory, just taking names and kicking ass. So they're on this one planet, and uh, uh, they're they're trying to. Uh, they're doing like a first contact type thing, uh, dealing with these uh, with these aliens on this planet. When all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose, and they have to deal with yet another situation. So um, I believe this is when, uh, yes, this is uh, Kiev. That's right. Yes, this is uh, this is a Kiev heavy story. So we get to see Keeve actually go through her Jedi trials without realizing that they're her Jedi trials. Um, and it's it's just so cool. It's such a great sequence. There's these like giant creatures that are about to uh, that are migrating essentially that are about to pretty much destroy this village on this planet. And so Keeve springs into action while Skier's just kind of like, all right, kid, let's see what you got. And as she's springing into action and she's saving the day, um, you can kind of just, uh, you see Skier every once in a while and you can just tell that he's impressed with what Keeve is doing and everything that she's able to accomplish. And at the end, Keeve says, well, I, I hope my Jedi trials aren't as uh, crazy as that. And Skier says, oh, well, those were your Jedi trials, and you passed. And he cuts her Padawan braid off uh, using uh, using a lightsaber. And it's just, it's such a great way to start this book, uh, to start this series. And I call comics books as well. You know, they're comic books, so I will call them books. Um, but it's such a great way to start this series. It's, it's such a fun note. And Skier has just, just in the first few pages of this, of this comic, of this issue, Skier has just, he's so endearing to me as a reader because you, because in Light of the Jedi, you see what he goes through. And in this comic, we are dealing with Skier as well as other Jedi kind of dealing with the fallout of what happened in Light of the Jedi, with Skier losing his arm at the Battle of Kerr. Um, Skier losing uh, Jedi Master uh, Mali at the Battle of Kerr. And 
how it just affects him and everything that he's doing. He wants to be a good master to Keeve, but he feels that Keeve is at that point where she can become a full-fledged Jedi. He has nothing left to teach her. And so once she becomes a Jedi Knight, we start to see Skier kind of dealing with that and dealing with being alone, even though that he isn't alone. He's got all of these Jedi colleagues with him. He's got all of these knights with him. And it's just it's just really, really um, interesting to see that, yes, this is the closest thing that we'll get to a team book, to quote Kevin Scott. Um, because you get to see multiple Jedi in this book, just like you saw multiple Jedi in Light of the Jedi. And even in A Test of Courage, you see multiple Jedi in that. Um, but with this, this is the closest thing that we get to, like, an Avengers book, a Justice League book, like, in the Star Wars universe. And so we get to see these Jedi um, in different ways. We find out, uh, once again, uh, from Light of the Republic, this carries over into or from Light of the Jedi, Light of the Republic. Uh, that would be a cool title too, but uh, <laughs> we get to see from Light of the Jedi, the the events uh, carry over into this. Um, and we are uh, told, so if you didn't le read Light of the Jedi, if you didn't uh, hear our spoiler review, um, we get, uh, since Jedi Master Molly died at the uh, Battle of Kerr, Avar Chris has now been assigned to be Marshal of the Jedi Temple on Starlight Beacon Station. So, uh, for those of you that are unfamiliar with Starlight Beacon Station, um, which is what this podcast is named after, Starlight Beacon Station is a uh, giant space station in the Outer Rim that uh, Chancellor Lena So of the Galactic Republic commissioned as one of her great works. Uh, this is supposed to be a central outpost, a central hub, uh, kind of like a, a floating Coruscant, essentially, uh, for the Republic in the Outer Rim. This is a place where people can go and trade, uh, a place of cultural exchange, a uh, haven for those that are seeking asylum. Uh, it's one of the, like, it's the second main Jedi temple uh, outside of Coruscant. Like, this is the main Jedi temple away from Coruscant. So we see that Avar Chris has been uh, promoted to Marshal of Starlight Beacon Station. And we get to see how that is kind of a burden on her shoulders. Because now she's going to have to coordinate uh, Jedi efforts throughout the entire Outer Rim. Whereas she just wanted to, you know, just be a Jedi Master and... And, you know, deal with crisis as as they come. But now she has to coordinate the entire operation in the Outer Rim while also dealing with the Nile. Because, let's face it, the Nile are still out there. They're still a threat. Loden Greatstorm is still out there. He's still captured by Martian Rowe. And that's what we need to work on getting. We need to work on finding out where Greatstorm is. Where Greatstorm is. Even though a lot of people think that he's dead, we don't necessarily see that. Um, also, uh, Bell Zedifar is in this uh, book as well. And we see him struggling with the fact that a lot of the Jedi feel that Great Storm is dead. 
But once again, this this is my point here, um, and I believe like this is going to become clearer as we get further into this series, because we all know that the Force works in mysterious ways. We've seen it uh, multiple times in any Star Wars medium. So with this one, you know, we see uh, the Jedi and their different uh, ways of viewing the Force. For Avar Chris, she sees it as a big piece of music where individuals are the notes. Um, she sees the Force as a song. Uh, for others, they see the Force as a way to comfort people, like Buryaga in Light of the Jedi. So the Force is interpreted in different ways throughout the High Republic here. But the one thing that I keep telling myself is that, you know, the, the Jedi, as we see in Light of the Republic, uh, Light of the Republic, Light of the Jedi, pardon me again, as we see in Light of the Jedi, the Jedi can pretty much tap into the Force, and they can feel the beings in the entire galaxy. So when Avar Chris is using the Force to tap in to, I mean, and to talk to every Jedi about stopping the one compartment full of hyperfuel from crashing into a sun and destroying an entire system, we see that Avar can even feel Yoda out in the galaxy uh, where him and his Jedi contingent are. So it, it makes me think, can they feel Great Storm and his pain that's being caused through the Force? Because Great Storm's being tortured through the Force by seeing other people being tortured. So it's, it's interesting why... You know, Great Storm's probably calling out in the Force. They can probably sense this. Is it so weak that they think that it's just a minor thing? Or do they acknowledge it, but they don't have a game plan? And I think that's what we're going to see with this High Republic uh, comic series. Is we're going to start to see the formulations of, you know, how do we rescue Great Storm? How do we get in there how do we stop the threat of the nile and we're going to be seeing that throughout the books we're going to be seeing that throughout this comic series and i kind of went off on a tangent there and kind of went into speculation but that's the best part about about all of this about this brand new star wars story that we get we can speculate responsibly of course you know but we can speculate and we can just we're along for the ride, and I gotta tell you, this ride has been just incredible so far. This this ride has just been so, so much fun, and I can't wait to continue it with uh, Claudia Gray's uh, Into the Dark and uh, Daniel Jose Alder's uh, High Republic Adventures number one from IDW. Uh, but going back into uh, High Republic number one here... Uh, we uh, going back to Skier real quick because uh, Skier is kind of like the main character uh, in this story, uh, so to speak. Where he, like I said, we see him struggling, and one of the big things from Light of the Jedi and from A Test of Courage, uh, one of the biggest um, takeaways from that book was, or from those books, 
was that the Jedi choose light every day. Like, you can choose to be on the light side of the Force or the dark side of the Force. It's throughout all of your actions. Your actions, your choices determine which side of the Force you're going to be on that day. So, like, you could have a week of just being in the dark, but you can still turn to the light. There's always a choice. Qui-Gon Jinn uh, has, has a great line uh, that Freddie Prince Jr. once talked about, uh, where Qui-Gon says, I turn to the light because it's there. And that's the thing. These Jedi turn to the light because it's there. They turn to the light side of the Force because they know that they can be a force for good. They know that they can help people. That's their choice to do it. It's not the Force guiding them to do it. It's their choice to do it. So we're seeing Skier struggle with those uh, emotions, with those attachments, while also trying to be the Jedi that he wants to be, that he knows that he should be. And it's just really interesting to see just how in-depth this this series is going to go. I think we're going to get some really dark moments with Skier. Um, you know, everybody says it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I think that's what we're going to see through this series. Um, he's just one of these characters that I just found myself just rooting for. Uh, as soon as the book opened, I just found myself rooting for him. And even with the concept art, I was like, this guy's a badass and I can't wait to see what he does. Um, and it's just so cool. I got to talk about the art here. I, I've got to talk about the art. I forget who the artist is, and I apologize. And Kevin, if you are listening, please let me know on Twitter uh, who the artist is. Um, <laughs> because I got to tell you, the art is absolutely fantastic, and it sets the tone for this book as well. This is meant to be a fun adventure book while also being this team book, and it just feels like that. It feels like a team-up book while also feeling like Star Wars, and that, to me, is just one of the best things out there. Uh, I can't get enough of the High Republic here, man. I just, I can't get enough of it. It's just so much fun to read. It's, it's just absolutely fantastic. The writing is great. The characters are great. The art is great. Uh, Kevin Scott, you have become one of my favorite writers with anything that you've done. Um, but especially Star Wars. Because Dooku Jedi Lost was a frigging masterpiece. It was so good. It was so much fun to, to experience. Um, and if you haven't experienced it as an audio drama, go to Audible. Please go to Audible and just listen to this audio drama that Kevin Scott wrote about Count Dooku. It's absolutely fantastic. And I want Kevin Scott to write more Star Wars audio dramas. Like, I want that. Um when it comes to this comic, uh, Kevin Scott, 
is no stranger to writing Star Wars comics, and he wrote one of the best Star Wars comics uh, with the Tales from Vader's Castle. He's he's just so great at just these fun stories, and this is just such a fun book, and I can't wait to see what he does with this book. I can't wait to see, like how it furthers the story. And my hat is off to you, sir. My hat is off to Charles Soule and Justina Ireland. This has just been such a fun way to kick off this era. I've got so many speculations, and we are going to be getting into that uh, with next week's episode uh, as well. Um, Let me see here. Next week's episode, yes. Oh, man. Yes, I get uh, the Claudia Gray Into the Dark book uh, the day before this episode, so I'm going to be talking a little bit about that. And then uh, we also get High Republic Adventures number one uh, the day this episode drops. So I may actually be recording on the 3rd after I read a little bit of Into the Dark and after I read all of High Republic Adventures number one. Uh, This is such a great time to be a Star Wars fan. Um, You know, going back to what I said earlier with the the people in the fandom uh, just trying to crap on everything and just trying to just be just this toxic negative force that we don't need here. If you are a Star Wars fan, that's awesome. But don't be a racist. Don't be a misogynist. Don't be sexist. Don't be all of those things that the Rebellion, the Republic, the New Republic and Resistance fought against. Just don't do it. Don't be that. Be better. You know, choose the light. Choose the light. You know, for light and life. You know, that's what we should be talking about. We should be building each other up, not tearing each other down. And that's the big thing here. Uh, that's the big message that I keep getting with this High Republic. Um, and this is such a great time for this to be out here, especially with everything going on in the world. Because this has shown us what we can strive to be. We can be this, you know, we can all be a light to somebody. We can all be a source for good for other people in their lives. We can help people. We can care about our neighbor. We can make sure that they're okay. And that's what we need to start doing. And that's why I love that's that's why I love uh the messages that these uh that that all of these books have given us so far is that the light is always there. Choose good. Be better. You know, be that awesome person that you know that you are and just help people so uh that is uh those are my takeaways from high republic number one and i just oh i didn't even get to it we get the starlight beacon uh (laughs) dedication ceremony uh in this in this issue as well and we get to see some of uh lena so's speech and just it's such a beautiful and moving speech that i just i can't wait to dive into more of what lena so's character is also um 
we are going to get to explore Starlight Beacon Station. It's going to be in some short stories in Star Wars Insider, as well as being in the High Republic comic series, uh, as well as other books. We are going to just get to tackle this world. We're going to be immersed in this world for such a long time, and I can't wait. And honestly, Starlight Beacon Station has become kind of like this other character uh, in in this whole series. And I can't wait to see how that develops. So, guys, if you haven't read any of these books so far, do yourself a favor and read them. And speaking of which, uh, this brings me to uh, our final bit uh, of the episode uh, before I uh, just share a few closing remarks. Um, We are doing a contest Yes, we are doing a Twitter contest. Uh, we're going to be doing a giveaway of uh, Star Wars, The High Republic, Light of the Jedi, and Star Wars, The High Republic, A Test of Courage. So Light of the Jedi is written by uh, Charles Soule. Test of Courage is written by uh, Justina Ireland. Both books are absolutely fantastic and such a great way to kick off uh, the High Republic. So, uh, make sure that you are following us on Twitter. We are going to be posting a tweet after the show drops. We're going to be to- we are going to be posting a tweet. Make sure that you like, retweet, and tag your friends. No, yeah, tag your friends. We're going to be asking the question. Here is your Twitter question. If you could explore one place in the Star Wars universe, what would it be? What would you do? And who would you go with? So make sure that you like, follow us on Twitter, like the post, retweet the post, and uh, tag your friends in your answers, and we will be drawing a winner next week. So, my friends, that is going to be it for us. Uh, But before we go, I just have to uh, just share my thoughts from the top of the show. Once again, my friends, racism, misogyny, sexism, all of that does not belong here in the Star Wars community. If you believe that Star Wars has a social justice agenda and that Disney has ruined Star Wars. Star Wars has always been and always will be about social justice issues. That's what the Rebellion fought for. That's what the New Republic fought for. That's what the Old Republic fought for. And that's what the High Republic is fighting for. If you believe that this whole franchise about space wizards is being ruined because of a social justice agenda clearly you are not watching star wars clearly you do not know the um the issues that they're fighting for or you just refuse to believe it you refuse to see it that you're blinded Star Wars has been and always will be about social justice. It is. It's a fact. Yes, these movies are about space wizards. 
That's true, too. And that's why I love these movies. But they always have been and always will be about social justice issues. For those of you that are saying, and this is going to be like the last thing that I say about this, because like I said, you know, you know who you are. You know what you're doing. We will find you. We will report you. We will expose you and we will block you because we need to get over this. We, we need, as a community, we need to come together and we need to get rid of all of this racism, misogyny, sexism. We need to get rid of all of it. We need to get rid of all of this targeted harassment. We need to get rid of it all. To quote Lando in The Rise of Skywalker, there are more of us. We win because there's more of us. So we need to show that. We need to come together as Star Wars fans, and we need to show the world, well, the world, well, and also these pieces of crap that there are more of us and that they will not, their actions will not stand. So that's what I'm going to say about this. Uh, also, for those of you that uh, said that Disney ruined Star Wars for you, no, your expectations, your speculation, and your headcanon ruined Star Wars for you. That's all I'm going to say. That's that's it. Uh, you may think it's a hot take. You may unfollow me. I may lose viewers or listeners for this. So what? I'm going to keep doing this show. But just know, I stand for social justice rights. I stand with Christina. I stand with Bria. And we need to make this community a better place by getting rid of all of the crap, all of the targeted harassment, all of the racism, all of the misogyny, all of the sexism. We need to get rid of it all. And that's what that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to focus on. Also, while being a positive place for people to go to. If you are hurting, if you are upset about something, this is a safe space to come and just hang out and enjoy Star Wars. If I can distract you for just a little bit, if I can just bring you some joy in your day, then I've done my job. So, uh, don't forget about the contest. Uh, Like, uh, you know, like it, retweet it, answer the question, tag your friends, Don't forget to follow us, and we will be choosing a winner on our next podcast uh, next week, which will be February 3rd, the day that Daniel Jose Alder's High Republic Adventures number one book comes out. I am super excited about that. We are going to be getting the Claudia Gray novel as well, uh, which is uh, Into the Dark. So, you know, we're going to be talking about that next, but... The giveaway is for Light of the Jedi and a test of courage. Like I said, make sure that you do all of that. We announce the winner next week. That's it for me. I hope that you all had a wonderful time. We had to get serious there for a little bit because that's the way we win. We have to call people out on their stuff. But until then, I love you all. May the force be with you for light and life. And don't forget that we are all the Republic.